0: You can sit down again. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Evidently, uh, Mick wants you to get a little uh, stretch in there because you're going to have to sit down for a while, I guess. I was amused this morning as uh, Mark was talking a little about the first century, how the contrast of light and dark had led them to the issues of grace and uh, things of that nature when they would celebrate God's grace when the light was coming on in, in the first century. That is true today, too, of the people that live in Seattle. And uh, uh, they still have that same issue there, too. One more announcement, if you don't mind. On the November 18th, it's a Sunday night, I would like for us to uh, have what's called a pie and praise night. I just think pie and praise go together. Uh, you know what I'm saying? It's just good to have a piece of pie with people. And, and, and what the idea is, is I don't know who does the cooking in your house, but I, I think to ask the cook to do a whole another meal would be tough. But I don't think the cook's mind throwing in one more pie. And so if you could bring the, your favorite pie, then we'll have some coffee here. And we'll just review the year of 2012 and have a chance just to give uh, uh, some testimony of what God has done in 2012. I think it'll be a powerful evening. So you in? I hope you will. hope you'll come. November 18th, about 6 o'clock in the evening. So put that on your plan as well. Mick mentioned, too, our, how's your week going? Did it go as planned? For some of you who went at plan, who had, whose weeks went as planned, uh, you are, your job, your career is soaring. This week the boss informed you that he's raising your, your salary three times. Uh, your children who are six and seven have announced they're going to skip the adolescent years and go right to adulthood and, uh, not go through teenage years. Your plan is right on key. That's great. Or maybe, uh, you are here today and the plan did not go as Hoyle, you know, according to Hoyle. And uh, maybe it was a tough week. Maybe there was a loss of a job. Maybe there was a, an illness. Maybe there was a, a doctor's visit that resulted in a bad medical report. Maybe there's a marriage that uh, is in deep yogurt. <laughs> uh, it didn't go as planned. If that's the case, then this message... I think we'll touch your heart today. Let's pray. Lord, uh, bless our time today. Would you be our teacher? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For those of you who have just joined us, we are in the study of the Beatitudes. Attitudes that should be in you. These are the birthmarks that appear on us as Christ followers. So that the world could identify us as Christ followers. We began over here, uh, near the Aspen here, that has revived itself because someone gave it some water, which I'm delighted for. And uh, we start over here with the poor in spirit. We, we, we knew that our spiritual journey is the same as the story of salvation, that when we come to the conclusion that we have nothing spiritually to offer God, God has everything to offer us. That makes a huge, huge difference in our life. And when we do that, uh, and we come to that conclusion, it causes us to mourn. It breaks our heart that we have broken god 's heart by living a life that is contrary to him, that is away from him, and so we are tired of being on our own plan, on our own on our own theory and our own spirit, our own spirituality, and now we 've come to, to mourn that and say, "God, I want to give that to you," and we repent and we mourn over that, and we become meek, that is not weak we 're all of our energy, all of our talents are still there, but now under the control of the Spirit. And once they are, it causes us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. With the Word of God, that the Word of God fills us up with His attitudes and His ideas and His thoughts. And that causes us to actually be merciful. And we see that most often in how we judge things. We tend to judge from human effort, but no longer. We're now judging according to Scripture. That has been our our M.O. now. And once we do that, we come to a point where we read today that blessed are the pure in spirit, for they shall see God. The flower, or the seed, I should say, is the beatitude. Blessed are the pure in spirit, for they shall see God. The flower, however, is a little longer explanation from the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, and then again in verses 16 through 18. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets, to call attention to the acts of charity. I tell you the truth. They have received all the reward they'll ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private. And your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. When you pray, don't be that like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues, where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Now down to verse 16. And when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, that no one will notice that you are fasting, except your father, who knows what you do in private. And your father, who sees everything, will reward you. I don't know what's tougher of those two statements, pure in heart or seeing God. I think that's an amazingly tough, two tough statements. But I have become convinced that the eye sees what it's trained to see. For instance, I remember when uh, Carol and I were, were dating and I had asked her to marry her. I was smart enough not to buy the ring first. I wanted her to pick it out. And so we went to the jeweler store and we, uh, we got over to the jeweler. And he took off this or, or had me take the diamond and put it under a microscope. And he said, you'll just love this. Okay, so I looked through the microscope and he said, "See how small that feather is? It's hardly even there." And I, I went, "Right, what what feather? Well, what am I looking at?" Because I was not trained as a diamond cutter. I wasn't trained to see feathers in diamonds. I, 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 have you ever been in the doctor's office and he puts the you know he's going to go over your chest X-ray to see how your lungs are doing, and he says, "There." Right. It's good looking. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's good looking. Yeah, you know, what, what am I looking at? Well, I'm looking at a pair of lungs. I think I see some bone structure in there. I see some ribs. Uh, but he looks, hey, look at this. Look at that. He goes over to a spot I would never have even looked at. He says, you see this, you see that, you see this? Everything's good. Great. The trained eye. We'll always see more. The favorite places for Carol and I to go, I'm sure it's a favorite place for a lot of people to go, is Carmel, Monterey, California. We love Carmel because there's just so many boutique art galleries there. And I can't think of a better day, uh, besides playing golf, and to have a Starbucks coffee and about a half a dozen famous Amos chocolate chip cookies walking through art museums. I love that. And as we go through, we really admire the art. Now, I, I know a little bit more than I did 40 years ago. But not like some people who are, know all the brushstrokes and know all the elements of bringing light and dark and shades and everything else into something. The trained eye always sees more. Now, if I'm watching football, and I've been a football coach and a basketball coach, and if I'm watching football or basketball with somebody who's not really played the game... I see more than they do. (laughs) And some of the comments they make about the game, to me, are just a bit absurd. They don't really understand the game as well as maybe somebody who has played it or has coached it. Now please, don't not invite me over because I might uh, be watching a game with you. But I think you're right. I think you see what I'm trying to say. The trained eye always sees more. And it's true spiritually as well. Two people can be sitting in the audience, and after the service, one could say, I really saw the Lord today. The other one can say, I thought it'd never end. Somebody can hear a song, and someone say, That touched my soul. And the other person could say, Big deal. Let me ask you a question this morning. How's your spiritual eye? Can you see God? Are you trained to see God this morning? You see, it all depends on, it all emanates from happy, blessed, fulfilled is the person who's pure in spirit, who's pure in heart, who's pure in their motives. They'll see God and and just as a pastor what i think i fear the most in many of our churches is that people come to the service mixed in their motives not pure in heart and they walk away from church really not having an encounter with god not even satisfied They don't see God because they're still filled with themselves. And that's because they really don't hunger and thirst. That's because they're really not under the control of the Spirit. That's because they've never really mourned and repented from thinking that they can run it themselves. And that's happened because they've never really gotten to point one. They just think that they still have something spiritually to offer God. But when they find out, they don't. And then when that day comes, then the heart is broken. Repentance, true repentance occurs. The desire to be under the control of God happens. They come with a banquet appetite for the Word of God. Then all of a sudden, they begin to see and to say and to judge things correctly. And now they have a desire to have no more of their motives mixed. Because they want to see God in things. And they want to see God in you. Ultimate destination of every work of God is for His people to see His glory and give Him praise. And when it all ends, when this earth is done and time shall be no more, someday I'll see Jesus and I'll be face to face with Him. And God will give me a vision of Himself. And He'll do it to you as well. Face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be? And even today, one of the great songs that's in our repertoire is, I can only imagine. I can only imagine what it's going to be like. And yet thou don't reserve that statement for someplace far off in the future. It's true for right now. God says, I want you to see my glory. I want you to see what I do. Jesus says, my goal is to see God in everything that you do. And I want you to see what I do. I want Christ revealed in you. I want Christ in you, the hope of glory. He didn't say pure in body. He didn't say pure in job. He didn't say pure in methods. He said pure in your motives. The Pharisees were pure in keeping the rabbinic law. They were pure in body. They were outstanding citizens. And if they were here today, they'd be outstanding citizens of Summit County. And yet Jesus says to these Pharisees, even the harlots will get into heaven before you do. Good night. This idea about being pure in motives is really true, and it's really something. What does it mean to be pure? It means to be unmixed. It was an agricultural term that was used of corn that had been winnowed. It was used in the army of taking cowards out and weaklings out so that the army would be pure. The story is told of Alexander the Great. He was a young man when he conquered the world. He would tolerate no cowardice in his army. One day they brought a young man to him. He was a beautiful-looking man. About 17 years old, 18 years old, just a young teenager in the army. He had run from his position. He had abandoned. He was a coward. They brought him to Alexander. and Alexander, regardless of what they did, he would put them to death. He, he tolerated nothing. He, there was nothing mixed in his army. But this guy was so beautiful-looking that you could see that Alexander's countenance was changing. And the guy promised he'd never do it again. And Alexander, for the first time in his life, gave this kid a, the first chance to, to recover. Two weeks later, he ran again. He brought him to Alexander. and he, Alexander said, what's your name? And the kid said, ah, it's Alexander, like yours. And Alexander said to the kid, I suggest either you change your behavior or you change your name. Who are you in Summit County? They call me Christian. They call me a Christ follower. And sometimes I think I hear Jesus saying, change your behavior or change your name. Amen. It's unmixed, gang. You want to see God? That's almost an impossible statement then God calls for no unmixed, no no mixed motives. Because the heart is the steering wheel of your life. You know, besides pie, I love fries. I love a good plate of French fries. You ever take a bunch of ketchup and you you pour it on there and all of a sudden all the ketchup comes out? You know why it does that? It's got water in it. They mixed it. Now, I like ketchup, but I don't want a, a whole bottle on my fries. There's a sense in which God says, I don't want any, I don't want mixed motives. The center, the seat of your emotions is your heart. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Out of the heart the mouth speaks. Oh, out of the heart. I was interviewing a church planner to be a possible church planner for us, and I think he was trying to impress me with how cool he was and how edgy he was and everything else. And we were out riding around, and one day he kind of used a couple of some swear words. I think just to kind of impressed me how edgy he was. And yet I realized that that probably was the time where I said, "I don't think this guy's ready yet because out of the heart the mouth speaks. That's where the motives get mixed. God says it's an unbelieving heart that kicks you in or kicks you out of salvation. If I had written it, I'd have said it was an unbelieving mind. No, Christianity is not just intellectual assent. It's a decision of the will. And when we say to someone, is there any good reason, is there any good reason right now where you can't receive Christ? I like the question, but in some ways it leaves it to just intellectual assent. It's not a matter just of the intellect. It's a matter of the heart, the will, where the emotions completely surrender to God. And we sing, Hallelujah, Thine the glory. Revive us again. A man's life is controlled by his heart. A person, in fact, if you control a person's heart, you control their life. It is the gateway to seeing God. People say, well, I don't want all that religious stuff. For me, the Sermon on the Mount is my religion. Well, if that's your religion, then the, your religion's already condemned you. Have you ever said something you didn't mean? Every deed that you've ever done, have you done with no ulterior motives? Have you ever flattered someone to cover up the fact that you, of what you really feel about them? Have you always done things at 100%? Because if you haven't, you're dead in the water. There is no more convicting statement than blessed are the pure in spirit. Blessed are the pure in heart. I don't know about you, but I needed Jesus Christ to save my wretched soul. Because Jesus is the example of pure in heart. And if you're pure in heart, then these characteristics of the flower will be true for you. Jesus says, I'm going to tell you about three things that you're going to do. You're going to do acts of mercy, which are almsgiving. You're going to do acts of prayer, and you're going to do acts of fasting. And in all of these things, these are righteous acts. But let me tell you something. You can do righteous acts in an unrighteous way. And when you do these acts, it's going to tell you whether or not you're pure in spirit. And so what I want you to do is I want to illustrate two things this morning that illustrate whether or not you actually are pure in spirit. Number one. If you're really pure in heart, then, number one, you are conscious of the presence of God. All things are open in the front of God. They're seen of man and they're seen of God. Most of us, I think, play for the crowd. All one has to do is look at the NFL these days. I've seen every touchdown dance there is to see. What if we did that on the stage after we preach a sermon? (laughs) Okay, we won't do that. Or somebody sings. I remember when I was coaching in football. I was a football and basketball coach where I went into the ministry. I had a kid who had an arm like a rocket. He In high school, he could throw that thing 40, 50 yards, just like a bullet. I still remember he'd just throw that ball like that and just hit that receiver right on the dime, and then he'd stand there just posing. i look at him, what are you doing? You admiring your work? I think we do that in the church. We, we stand there and, and wanting to be admired for our work. But God sees it in secret. Do not relegate the presence of God to some future date. In 1 Thessalonians says, Remember without ceasing, your work is done in the sight of God our Father. Were they done ultimately in the presence of God? He says to be sincere and do your acts in secret. That means, number one, do it sincerely. Don't do it like an actor. Don't be a hypocrite. God hates the sin of pretense. It didn't bode well for Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. They were looking at Acts chapter 4 where Barnabas had given some great land in Crete. Top of the line stuff. I don't know what Ananias and, and Sapphira gave, but maybe it wasn't prime land like like Barnabas did, but they gave something. But they said they gave it all when they only gave it in part. There's nothing wrong in giving just a part of it. But just say that. But they were hypocrites. They weren't sincere. They were faking full su- surrender when they weren't. Then he says, do it in secret. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't sound the trumpet. I mean, can you get the picture? Here's a guy who's a Pharisee, in a toga, walking down the street with a little horn on his left side, hanging down. And then he's got his, his money bag over here and he sees this beggar over here and he reaches down to get a few drachma out of the bag and just before he drops it in the thing he picks up his little horn and goes, ta-da! And then drops it in, calling attention to the fact that he just gave some alms. And most of us would say, that's ludicrous. I would never do that. Really? Really? I think we do do that. How much can you do today without getting any recognition for it? Can you say you prayed for somebody all night long without mentioning it publicly somewhere? Can you say to someone that, you know, this person was in need, they didn't have any money, so we bought him some groceries and never mentioned it? We've learned this since we were kids, weren't we? We all went to the same high school, really, didn't we? When the prom came, and the prom was over, and the last dance was about to be done, who stood up? The class secretary and read this obnoxious list of everybody who we want to thank for tonight. And so now we do it in church. Let's thank all these people... Who did this? And I think it's wise to thank people. But my point is, what can you do without being thanked? Because I think when you get thanked, there's a certain sense in that which Jesus says, you just got your reward. That's it. You've been thanked. Now I realize that uh, you say, well, what does it mean for your left hand to not know what the right hand's doing? Well, the left hand does something and the right hand wants the credit. The right hand does something and the left hand wants to acknowledge it. Jesus is saying, I know others will tell you that you did a good job, but don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Don't even tell yourself. <laughs> See, we're all victim of head noise. John Bunyan, the great preacher, was told after he preached a great sermon by someone who came up and said, I already know it. The devil beat you by ten minutes. Now that doesn't mean that we don't thank people. But there's a reason, and I know that probably right now I could be skating on thin ice as a pastor and talking about pastoring and musicians. But I'm the interim. (laughs) So skate away. It's not wrong to thank a musician for the good music they provide. It's not wrong to thank the pastor for a good sermon. But there is a reason why I don't go to the back and don't shake hands with people on the way out. I don't need that. See, I came to a conclusion about 25 years ago that I preach my message for God. God is the audience. You guys are eavesdropping. Because the final analysis when I ride down the hill today is whether or not I get the approval of God, not you. That's it. That's all I got. That's all you should have, too. But we still have such a desperate need to be thanked. We're always conscious that God is in presence. Which leads us to point number two. Not only are we conscious of the presence of God, but we're content with the praise of God. We sure love to hear people praise us, and I know no one can do that. I can't even do it. I I can't do it here in Dillon. I'm sure I'll say something or do something that probably people aren't going to be pleased with, and I just have to say, well, sorry. Let me read what Paul wrote to you in 1 Corinthians 4, 3. As for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or any human authority. Sounds pretty arrogant there. Paul says, I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. But he says this my conscience is clear. But that doesn't prove I'm right. It is the Lord Himself who has to examine me and decide. I told you last week that when I was a young man and I preached stuff that I really didn't experience but I knew was true from the Word of God, people would come up to me and say, You're on the right track. But after you go through what you just preached, you'll preach with a lot more authority. Well, now I am their age. And you know what they've said to me? Was true. After you've gone through it, there's a certain sense of authority that you can preach with. And if I haven't, I can tell you that by Wednesday, God will have me going through it. When you play to the crowd... Jesus says you already have your reward. When you give to someone in need and you blow your trumpet, you've received all the reward you're going to get. When you give to someone and you tell somebody about it, you got your reward. You know how we do sometimes, how we tell? We tell each other through prayer. We felt led to witness to somebody. We felt led to pray for somebody. We, we felt led to visit somebody. And so in our prayer time, we say, Lord, I just thank you the other day when you led me to go over and see so-and-so. Oops. There goes that trumpet. Ta-da! Folks, this is, is serious, you see, because the pure in spirit, those who are a pure in heart, have gotten that way because they've, they're so, they're so merciful. They're so filled with who God is. They've received the mercy of God themselves because they were so filled up with His righteousness, and that came because they were under His control, and that came because their heart had been broken about going their own way, and that had gotten all the way back to where they said, "You know what, God? This really was a good beginning when I came to the point where I understood you. I've got nothing coming. I've got nothing going towards you. You got everything coming towards me." And I remember that day when that broke my heart, and I said, "No more. I'm not on my no longer on my own program. I, I I want to surrender the control of my life to you, and you take me, and you take my energies and my talents and everything, and use them for your glory. And now fill me up with your righteousness and your word, that I might be a merciful person and render the true judgment of what God says in His Word. And Lord, at that point, take those motives that were now uh, we used to be mixed with all my own stuff. Now they're they're just it's just your thought in my mind, and those are my motives. And God says, you do that, you'll see me. And others will see me in you. That's a birthmark. That's an attitude that should be in all of us. I think this morning that sometimes we sell out for the future and we, we ignore the present. The last slide on the screen is a good one, I think. I wasn't made to be a pleasure to humankind, but for God. This week, I, in fact, right after the service, I have a quick appointment with someone and then down the hill and write to DIA to get on a plane for Berlin. This week, I'll be in Berlin with the World Congress for the International Baptist Convention, who we are helping them to learn our church planning methods. Three weeks ago, we opened up a brand new church in Panama City. 158 people from 15 different countries attended. Two weeks ago, we opened up a brand new church in Darmstadt, Germany, where 78 came and 12 received Jesus Christ as their Savior. Today, right now, as we're meeting, the first baptismal service in Panama City is happening. And three new converts have given their life to Jesus Christ are being baptized because of that new church called LifeBridge International Church. The new church in Munich, the core group, is being formed. The new church in Stockholm, the core group, is being formed. I want to ask you for your wisdom or you would pray for God's wisdom for me, excuse me. I want to have your prayers to pray for God's wisdom, the same wisdom that comes from James chapter 1, verses 2-4. through 4. I need that this week as we decide where many of the next hot spots are going to be. We want these cities and our actions to be what God wants. We want to join Him in what He's doing. Now, When a person is pure in spirit, when a person is not dealing with mixed motives in their life, God says, you're ready to become a peacemaker. Not just a peacekeeper, but one who literally makes the peace. Not just someone who keeps the peace. We'll pick that up next week. And then the following week, we'll look at the last beatitude, the which is the attitude of the world towards these, this person who has these seven attitudes in them. And you begin to see what the promise of God is for what a person does like that and how they operate and how they act and how marvelous God can take a person with those kinds of attitudes and transform an entire community. Don't miss next week. It's going to be a pivotal time for all of us. Let's pray. Lord, we're excited about the opportunity just to serve you. May you be the one who clears our motives. May we be conscious that your presence is with us, and may we be content with just your praise. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to worship you today. May the world as they stand, look at us and say, that truly is a Christian. Those attitudes that they have in them are attitudes that bring about peace and healing. Thank you for that today. And we commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. And I'm ask the ushers to come forward one more time.